Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast. Another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan, in the tradition of throwing curveballs, when you expect fastballs, there was a, a fake trade, or not a fake trade, a trade that was rejected by your Philadelphia 76ers from your Indiana Pacers. Malcolm Brogdon in a first for Ben Simmons. Dylan Hughes, do you think that the Pacer or the Sixers should have said yes to this trade? <sighs> See, it's so tough because. I just don't know how to value Simmons right now. So Simmons, I think Simmons, the idea of Simmons is much better than Brogdon plus a first. But again, when it come, when push comes to shove, what is Simmons doing for you? He's not going to win you the game. We know that. So, and he very well could lose you the game. So it's like the talent much better than what that package is. But it's not all about talent. It's about fit. It's about what do you do at the end of the game? And that's why I always talk about these playoff guys, the guys that are really good in the playoffs, they just shoot up the ladder. I mean, Chris Middleton after this playoffs, and we have a discussion about Chris Middleton coming, but that dude, after the past two years, he has proven a lot, you know, and a lot of people, I think just even just the beginning of this year would say, hey, Ben Simmons much better than Chris Middleton. But, you know, again, Simmons just has crushed his value. So it's like, I don't even know. I mean, I, does that trade make the Sixers better? I don't know, but I, it doesn't make the Pacers better either. So it's just, it's just kind of tough to figure out how to value Simmons right now. I mean, the obvious Simmons trade besides the big one for um, that blows the Blazers to hell. (laughs) I mean, if the Blazers, you know, if, them and Dame can come to some kind of reasonable impasse. I mean, the the Lillard for or the CJ for Simmons trade is the one that's made the most sense this whole time. I mean, I fear the Pacers. I kind of agree with you here. Like on balance, Simmons is a, a much better basketball player than Demontis Sabonis. But I know this: Sabonis wouldn't be afraid to dunk it. He would have dunked in that spot if he had the ball there. I mean, Levert. I would say Simmons is much better than Levert, but Levert would have um, would have dunked the ball if he was in that spot. And obviously different skill sets, but I just Simmons needs to go somewhere where he can have the team. And if he goes to Indiana, he's not going to have the team. Like he needs to. I mean, let's be real here. He needs to go somewhere where they're blowing it up, and he needs to be the face of the franchise, right? And he needs to, you know, learn the accountability to become a better shooter. He needs to learn the accountability, you know. Or learn, you know, oh, hey, I don't need to be so perfect. I just need to be really good, right? Like, there's no such thing as a perfect player. Even Michael Jordan, the best player of all time, he couldn't really make threes. So, like, there's no reason for you to aspire to perfection. Like, that seems to be – Jackie McMullen did a big profile on – she was on the Simmons podcast, and she was saying, like, a couple weeks ago, and she was saying, Simmons always strives for perfection. And it's like – um, you don't always need to be perfect. Perfect is the enemy of good. It's I, I use that principle a lot. 
And it's like Simmons could be so much more if he just didn't care about every single thing being perfect. Yeah, and that's a great way to put it. And, you know, the way I think about this, I've never liked the fit of him and Embiid because and neither of them are good shooters. I, I think that you definitely could put Simmons on his own team and it would work out. But I also think if you just paired him with a really good perimeter shooter, a lot of these problems would be fixed. And Simmons would have to accept a major role change. Like if he went to the Blazers, just imagine dribble handoffs between him and Dame. Mm-hmm. It really completely changes the dynamic of the team. There's been talk about the Wolves. And I, I don't know if I agree with you know what the Wolves would have to give up. Because you're probably going to trade two really good shooters for a guy that can't shoot and doesn't want to shoot. But last year, I mean, we talked about what Chris Finch did for him and with or for Cat. Cat was very involved in pick and roll as the ball handler. He was doing a lot more dribbling last year. And I'm just wondering, imagine having pick and roll with Ben Simmons and Cat where Cat is running it sometimes. And and just imagine like dribble handoffs, Cat pulling up with no one guarding him. I mean, that is deadly because Cat is like he's one of the best shooters in the league, not just for centers, like out of everyone. So, man, like, you know, there's a few teams out there where you have those deadly shooters that I think he would be a really good fit with. And Philly just really hasn't had that. So we haven't seen it. Well, they did have it in 2018 when it is Simmons rookie year when Embiid went down and he was playing with JJ, he was playing with Ilya Sova, Marco Bellinelli. I mean, we saw what Simmons on the stretch floor looks like. The problem is, is that you're right. Embiid's gotten much better as a shooter. Embiid shot like 30, I shot like 40% from three this year, I think, but you don't want, you don't want Embiid on the perimeter Embiid's taking threes. You're happy as the defense. Like, you want Joel to take threes. So, you get Simmons out of there, and you get Joel in the paint more, and I think it's a it's a win-win proposition for both sides. Yeah, I mean, look at how good they were when Seth Curry was going off. Like, MB just needs more of a balance, and, and Simmons didn't offer that balance. You got to have – you got to have proper spacing. You got to have good floor balance. Yes, MB is a better shooter, but he's not a shooter. You don't want him shooting. Just because he's shooting 40% from three doesn't mean that he should be shooting 10 a game. And that's what you need to counteract Simmons. So, you know, if they can get a guard and, you know, Brogdon wouldn't be a bad fit, but again, McCollum or someone like that would be a lot better. And for Simmons, again, have him with a guy or two guys that are awesome shooters that he can play off of and put him in the pick and roll a lot more. So he's down low. I mean, he's strong enough where he can take centers and, and get shots up at the rim. Maybe he'll be scared sometimes, as we saw. <laughs> um, but, you know, you'd much rather have him in that role than than I think what he's been doing in Philly. So there's trades out there that make sense, and it'll be interesting to see if Philly actually explores any of those this offseason. That's a good point. We'll probably be talking a little more about Philly. I don't think we'll have to talk about the teams that we buried last week um, as much, but we're going to be doing NBA funerals today for um you know we're gonna bury all the teams that lost including the playing teams we hadn't talked about them in a while there's some interesting like you know little angles we could talk talk about with them but we're gonna talk about the conference finals first we're gonna get that out of the way so um game four 
the Hawks blew the uh, – we're going to talk about Bucks hawks then we're going to talk about over, so we'll talk about that one last. Um, so game four, the Hawks won 110 to 88, and then game five, the – the Bucks won 123-112 in a game with no Giannis and with no Trey. Um, Dylan, game five was a really wacky game. I stopped watching after halftime because the Bucks were really taking it to the Hawks. But I think they kind of blew it by not winning game four. Like, they'll probably win game five, seven or six or seven, but I think they could have really put the series away in five. Yeah, it was, it was an odd game because Trey was out. This was like a chance for the Bucks to really step on the throat of the Hawks and just end it. And they didn't take advantage of it. And they could have closed the series out last night if they had won it. Um, and, you know, you can say Giannis got hurt, but he didn't get hurt until they were already – like they were losing when Giannis got hurt. They, I think they were losing. Yeah, they were, they were losing when he got hurt. So, it's <laughs> – I mean – you know, we talked a lot this year about – or this playoffs about how good Herder's been, and he was great in that game. And Bogey was a lot better than he had been. Um, and, you know, Lou Will, 21 points on nine shots. I mean, hard best, not to love that. Best game since he uh, beat the Warriors single-handedly in 2019. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it was fun to watch because as much as we love Trey, it was nice to see them move the ball around so much. Like – you can just tell this team is is so connected, and I think that's why they've had so much success under McMillan. Um, is that this team just plays really well together? The guys just mix, and that's I think that's what gave them the advantage to Game Four. Was you know they didn't they didn't just accept that they were going to lose because Trey was out. They they realized they got enough talent they can put the pieces together and pull this off. And John Collins wasn't even good either. Like their two best players, arguably. Uh, were combined for four points, <laughs> so and they still blew them out. So it was it was a uh, tough for the Bucks. I mean, you know, Middleton and Holiday just weren't very good, and that was it really. Because when you don't have them playing well and Giannis is out, what else do the Bucks have? You know, it's it's slim pickings after that. So the Hawks' depth, I think, is has been part of the reason that they've made it this far, and it's it's been helping them without Trey. I mean, this is why, and I know Caleb Lynn is going to probably lambaster for this. Shout out to Caleb. I love you. You're a dear friend. We argue about this literally every other day. Um, this is why you signed Bogdanovich and Gallinari, because otherwise your guys replacing, you know, Hunter when he goes out are is, you know, Solomon Hill. Otherwise, your guy replacing, you know, Trey when he goes out is, you know, you have like Tony Snow. Or Skylar Mays, right? You don't have, like, their depth is on, like, a, just a complete different level right now. Like, they have legitimately, if their whole team was healthy, they could have an 11-man rotation in the conference finals. And you wouldn't be like, okay, this is dumb, Nate. Why are you playing all these guys? Because they're all really good, right? Like, think about who stepped up. Like, in the first round, DeAndre Hunter was amazing. He hasn't played since game five of the Knicks series, and he won't play again in this series or the playoffs. Um Cam Reddish just came back. Trey Young missed the last two games, and it hasn't mattered. They've been so – they're so deep. Like, they're one of the deepest teams. That's why I favored them in the first round against the Knicks, and I was I've obviously proven to be right. I didn't think they'd make it this far. But think about the depth problems the other teams have, right? Like, the Bucks 
only have seven guys they can play, right? The Nets, if they play the Nets somehow, and obviously I think Kevin Durant would smoke them, but if they played the Nets, I mean, they played five guys in game seven. Steve Nash did. You know, they, I don't think they played anybody more. Th- like, I think all the main guys got more than 40 minutes in that game. Then you have, you know, the Sixers with their, I mean, Danny, who knew Danny Green going out would spell the end for the Sixers? Like, I know you're not the biggest Danny Green fan, but they really didn't have the depth to compensate for his loss. Like, because then you're playing Korkmaz more. Then you're playing, you know, I don't think Mike Scott played, but you don't have a whole lot of depth on that Sixers team to compensate for the fact that you've lost Danny Green. And so I think you have all these young guys on these contracts and the depth has really accentuated the Hawks' strength. And they obviously lost in game five, but they still scored 112 on this really good Bucks defense. Yeah, and man, like, let's just switch to Cam Reddish. So I'm, I'm thinking, just doing a little thinking. You know, we, we both love D'Anthony Melton. Could Cam Reddish become that type of guy? Like, the shot, you know, the shot's not going to be the same. But a guy that's a good passer, a good defender, and good ball handler that can come off your bench. I mean, D'Anthony Melton was huge for the Grizzlies this year, and, like, he was probably a top three player for them especially because Triple J was hurt and then sucked when he came back. Um, And Cam Reddish has been a guy I've been fascinated about since the draft because that Duke team was so – it was just a clusterfuck of talent. And, like, they were all so talented, but none of them could shoot. So it it just made life difficult. But going back and watching – because I studied that draft quite a bit – And, like, going back and watching some of those games, I'm like, okay, Cam Reddish can definitely dribble. He's really good in transition, obviously a really strong defender. So what can this guy be? And putting him and DeAndre Hunter on that team has been a fascinating uh, experiment. And sadly, this year would have been such a great year to watch them play together. And one of them got hurt and the other was healthy. The other one got hurt when the other one was healthy, like it they never, like, I would like to see how many games they actually played together. It was probably less than 10, you know, like they, they just kept getting hurt when the other one got healthy. And right now Hunter, who has been awesome for them this year, hurt reddish is back. And man, like, I don't want to look to the future too much because this, there's still a series here, but I mean, he's been great for them. Um, you know, both on offense and defense, Really, we've just been expecting him to be good on defense, and you'll take what you can get on offense. But, I mean, these two games he's come back, he hasn't looked rusty at all. Yeah, and he's got really good vision. Like, really good vision. You know, you brought up the Anthony Melton, and I think – so we were talking about it pre-pod. Travis Schlenk, for those that don't know, he was um, on the – the Golden State front office when and he left in 2017 to go uh, be the Hawks general manager. I, the John Collins draft would have been his first draft, right? So I'm going to use a Warriors comparison here. I think Reddish is kind of like, I think the way I would describe it would be like Livingston with a jump shot. Mm. Like, because if you gave Livington, Livingston a jump shot in 2015, he's not a role player coming off the Warriors bench. I mean, and we saw, you know, going back to Livingston, we saw him be good in Cleveland. We saw him be good in, I think he was in Brooklyn too, before he got to um, Golden State. 
And he was really good in both those spots. And then he gets to Golden State and he's a huge contributor as like the seventh man after Iggy. Like, I think that Livingston, if you gave Livingston a three-point shot, that's Cam Reddish. Like, he's just really a dogged defender. Same as Livingston, right? He's got the handle. Same as Livingston. He's got, you know, really good vision. Same as Livingston. I think that Reddish's ceiling, it's crazy to say. He, other than Trey, he might have the highest ceiling on the team. Like, and I've always, I've never been low on Cam Reddish. I've always been very intrigued. I just can't ever say because he's barely, I don't think he's played a hundred games in the NBA. I'm, I'm going to pull up his, uh, his reference page real quick. He's played, he's played 84 games in the NBA. He played 58 games last year. He played 26 games this year. And I mean, the fact that he's coming off the bench and contributing in such a massive way in the conference finals is huge. Like, to be to not have played since January, it feels like, and to come off the bench and be good—that's crazy. Like that's crazy how talented he is, and just like we use the word raw a lot, but I feel like he's kind of raw, and I feel like the sky's really the limit for Cam Reddish. I really do, and I think the sky's the limit for DeAndre Hunter too. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, raw has always been the word with him, um, and I I personally think that. Hunter is probably highest ceiling outside of Trey for me because, I mean, I've talked about it at length, but I love a guy that can make a shot, man, consistently. And Hunter this year has shown that that dude is going to be a go-to scorer at some point. And, I mean, talking about Middleton, like, I, I don't know. Like, could he become a Middleton-type shot maker? I, I think he could. And I mean, the defense is pretty much on par too. So, you know, I, I, again, I think those two guys are going to be huge for that team going forward. And we've already seen what Trey can do and we haven't really gotten a full taste of what those other guys can do. So it's man, it's, it's exciting. And it's really sad that we didn't get to see it this year. Cause I think if they were fully healthy, they would beat this Bucks team. I mean, they just have so much to offer on both sides of the floor and, you know, sadly, we haven't been able to see it. And I don't know what the status of Trey is, but, um, you know, Giannis, like, I don't know if they made an announcement about him either, but hyperextended knees do not get recovered within a few days. It, it's like it's the first th- the first thing I saw, because you could tell he hyperextended it right away. Like they did the MRI. I get it. You got to check. That was a clear hyperextension. Which, you know, long-term, not anything to really worry about. But short-term, it's like a one- to two-week injury. So, you know, it's the conference finals. We'll see if he tries to pull it out either way. But Trey, I don't know. I mean, they've proven they can win without him, but obviously much easier with him. So we'll see. But, you know, the takeaway for the Hawks is that they're they're closer than I think they expected and definitely anyone else expected. Yeah, you and I were talking about it before the show. I wouldn't be surprised if they win 50 games next year. And it's cr- like, if you asked us, I think if you asked both of us before the season, and I'm pretty sure we were both very high on the Hawks too. I don't think either of us would have said going into next year, we think they can win 50 games. Like that would have been ridiculous coming into the season, but you have so much depth on your team that went invariably because they might have the same problems. I think the conference finals teams low-key might have the same problems that this year's conference finals teams had, except they're going to play 82-game season, not a 72-game season. So that I think that might be something to monitor. But even with all that struggle, 
You still have, you know, you still have Gallinari. Gallinari was the second best player on the fifth seed two years ago, right? Or last season, last season. So you have that guy who can carry you, right? You have Bogdanovich, who was the, he was probably better than Buddy Heald in 2018, right? When they, when they finished ninth and they almost made the playoffs. Like you have guys that have carried teams in the, in the harder conference, <laughs> to, to success and now you're putting them in the east playing cleveland playing detroit playing you know charlotte orlando i mean i don't know why i threw charlotte in there sorry charlotte that was that was unnecessary i this is okay we aren't burying the hawks because they haven't lost yet but if they do lose this is in essence their burial because they've had a hell of a season and they should be really encouraged i well we, we'll talk about milwaukee but the, the Hawks should be very encouraged by the results of this playoffs. Oh yeah. I mean, again, like who would have even expected them to make it this far and, you know, beating the Knicks is one thing, but that Philadelphia team, even with their issues still and beat alone was a hell of a, a load to handle and they did it. So, I mean, and, and it's not like they've just, you know, made it to this point and kind of said, Oh, that's good enough. We'll pack it in. Like, They've they've gotten two games off, you know, a team that's been one of the best in the East for years. So, and they could win more. I mean, again, like I wouldn't be shocked if this went seven. So, yeah, I mean they've they've had a hell of a run, and it's it's exciting looking forward. Yeah, and you brought up the let's talk about the Bucks now. You brought up the Giannis injury, said it was a one to two week thing. So he would have got injured on Tuesday, I believe it was. Game one of the finals isn't going to start till July 8th. So we're going to have some time off between, because I think that there's a real chance. I would put it 60-40 right now that the Bucs beat the Hawks in game six. Like, I think that, I think in game four, they were really benefiting from the home cooking, you know, and maybe Milwaukee benefited from the home cooking in five too. But I think that, you know, on balance, the, the Bucks are the better team, but Again, I'm giving the Hawks a really good chance because they've shut me up every single time since from the second round on. Like they've really, they've really put in work and they've really done a really good job. But I, Dylan, I think Milwaukee should be very encouraged by the result. I know game four was really bad, but game five, they bounced back and they really, they really put their, you know, they really, that was a statement game for me. Like their backs were against the wall and they came out and they blew out, they blew out the Hawks. Yeah, and man, is Giannis holding Brooke Lopez down? I think that's a fair question. I mean, and and it's it's further uh, fuel to my fire that this is a one big team, by the way. Um, and I don't even want to go into that, but again, every single time they put Giannis at the five, their offense is fucking like fluid as hell. I just I continue to question Bud. And sadly, he's probably not going to get fired after this run. I mean, would, would it be a statement if they won the finals and said, yeah, we could do better. Sorry. Well, uh, we're going to bring someone else in. But, There's no uh, way they have the balls to do that. There's no, no way. That would be like, we need a book if that happens. Yes. That would be quite uh, quite a story. But yeah, I mean, this is something, this is, this is what I want to talk about with Middleton. So we keep talking about how Giannis is the shack of our generation. I'm not going to say that Middleton is the Kobe, but for this team, he is. Yeah. I mean, this dude has proven that when push comes to shove, he's going to hit big shots. 
And, you know, game four, he wasn't good. That's – we talked about that. That's, you know, tough. But 40 – or was it 38 in game three? And then, mm-hmm. you know, 26 last night. I mean, he he almost had a triple-double last night. I mean, he is just awesome. And I think it was Steven Jackson said he's the best player on the team. I don't agree with that. But is he the most important is, is an interesting discussion because, again – Giannis is the guy that's going to get you to the finish line, but Middleton may be the guy that helps you cross it. Yes. I'd say they're both. I'd say Giannis is more important, but Middleton's value is consistently underrated. It's a really good question because, I mean, game four, Reddish did a really good job on Middleton in game four, but <laughs> I apologize if you hear, heard that. My cats are, uh, are going crazy in here. Um, Middleton, to me, is one of those guys – you don't want to rely on Middleton as your first option, right? That's going to be a recipe for disaster. But if he's working, he's kind of like a little bit worse Paul George, where if he's working in the flow of the offense and he can get his buckets and he can, you know, hit tough contested jumpers, stopping on a dime, then that's what you want from Middleton. You don't want him, you know, carrying your team for 82 games. But in the playoffs, there's like, there's not really a whole lot more players valuable than him just because of the contested shots and the fact that he plays both sides. Like, very underrated thing about this Milwaukee team is that all three of their stars play both sides of the ball. Like that's not, we Dylan, we know that's not the case. We watched the NBA. Trey doesn't play both sides of the ball. Kawhi plays both sides of the ball, but doesn't do the other side the way he used to. Right. Paul George, we'll talk about him, but he plays both sides of the ball, but not as much as he used to. Like it's so hard to play both sides and you got to give all three of their stars credit. They play both sides and Middleton, I think that's that's added part of his value. Here's the thing, right? Ten years ago, I bet you this version of Chris Middleton is a top 15 player in the league. Like, the league is so deep now. Right now on my top 100 list, I think I have him like 23 or 24 or something like that. Like, and it feels low, but then you're like, I can't have him over Chris Paul. You go through the list and it's like, it's hard, but Middleton's just that good, man. Like, he's so ridiculously good. It feels like I'm underrating him and I love Chris Middleton. Yeah, you know, it's funny because it, it wasn't even that long ago where Jimmy Butler and Paul George were like, no doubt, top 10 players or at least top 12. And they've gotten better since that point, but I think they've moved down the list still. Or they're at least the same because <laughs> this league is so deep. I mean, being a top 20 player is really saying something. You know, being the 20th best player back in 2010 – was like, all right, you're like a you're like an all-star type of guy, but you're not that good. But now you can be the 20th best player in the league and be like the best player on a finals team. You know, like it's it's really deep. And we just keep getting more and more guys in the league every single year that make this list more crowded. And I mean the I mean that's something else to talk about is is the draft. It's it's become much more of a funnel of like superstar talent than I think we've gotten used to because between like really after Jordan left and like between when Jordan left and like, I don't know, 2015, it, it was, it just felt so hit or miss. There was some drafts where you got a lot of guys, but there was all others where it just wasn't that good. But now it feels like every year we got one or two superstars coming into the league and, you know, maybe it's just the cycle of things, but it just gets deeper and deeper every year. And it's like, yeah, like you want to say Middleton's a top 15 player because it sounds good, 
but you actually make the list and it's like, well, shoot, I could easily name 18 guys better than him or whatever. So, and you know, we're going to actually perform this exercise in the coming mm-hmm. months, which will be fun. But yeah, man, it's, it's crazy how deep the league is right now. So I'm going through my, my list as presently constructed. I have four guys from the 2018 draft in my top 40. <laughs> like the 2018 draft legitimately might go down as one of the best in NBA history. Like, and it's just what you were saying, all these guys, right. And I'll just, I'll name the four Luca, Trey, SGA, Aiton, all three of them. They're in the top 33, all three of them. Think about that. Four guys who are still not even done with their rookie contract are in the top, my top third of the league. That's insane. Like that's, re- that's absolutely ridiculous, but they are coming in so good now. And you know, when a team misses on a draft pick, like Zach always brings up, you know, John Collins, right. But look at what hell, look at what John Collins has done. 2017, 19th pick. And the man is going to probably get paid a max contract next summer. Like these guys are coming in so young and so good. And it's crazy how good they are so young. Like going through my list, I would bet you half of the top 25 were drafted after 2015. Like I'm not going to do it right this second, but I would bet you half of that list was drafted after 2000, 2015 because it's so, it's so, so deep the draft now. It seems like teams actually, I mean, sometimes, right? Like Connolly's admitted it into lucking into Jokic, right? That happens. I mean, we all agree. John Hammond lucked into Giannis. Like, I don't think that that's, you know, but Presti drafted Embiid with the third pick. Um, and look at, look how that turned out. You know, you draft, I mean, trying to think of who else. Um, Luca, no brainer third pick, right? Even though the Hawks traded the, the pick, but still, like, Luca was going in the top five of that draft easily. And the top five guys now, like Ja, right? Ja came in and he was an impact player right away. So you have all these young guys, they're coming in. And I think it's making the league so great because now like we get to live in the future and we get to live in the present, you know, with these guys like KD, Steph, Kawhi, we get, a, we, I think the league, call me crazy Dylan. I think the league is in a really great place right now. Yeah, it is. And first of all, I'm not going to let you get away with calling Sam Hinky, Sam Presti, not going to let you get away with that one. <laughs> I because, mean, because listen, Sam, right? Sam Hinky wouldn't have traded Diallo. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I, I'm not going to say that for sure because he might have. Again, I I understand. Uh, I'm not going to go into that. But uh, it, I don't want to give – well, I'm going to give Hinky credit because he got fired, all right? I'm, I think he would have traded Simmons. That's that's my saying. If, if, he, if he keeps the job, he trades Simmons at some point. Uh, and, hey, who knows? He may not have taken Fultz either. But, I mean, that trade – Trading Fultz to Orlando for what they got was a disaster. I don't know how they don't get Terrence Ross out of that deal. You telling me uh, Brian Colangelo didn't know what he was doing? He's too busy fucking tweeting people to do his job correctly. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think Hinky much better than Presty, but that that's uh, another podcast. But yeah, I mean the league right now is is nuts. I mean. We've got guys on like the worst teams in the league that are like top 30 players, you know. I mean, look at New Orleans, and I think they're going to take a quick bounce. But even the Kings, like I still think De'Aaron Fox could end up being like a top five point guard within the next five years. You know, it's it's like even there's just a lot of young studs that get buried, but there's also a lot of a lot of them that get on good teams. And sometimes it's because they're picked late. And, you know, it seems like more and more 
we see guys picked between like 10 and 20 that end up being awesome. And that's, that's still kind of like a, you know, more of a lottery. It's like half of them are going to be out of the league in 10 years or even less. Uh, but some of them also could be superstars. So, you know, it's, it's fun. And when this, this draft coming up, they're talking about it being even better than we're expecting. So what are we going to get five superstars out of this one or even more? Who knows? Maybe, maybe the draft is ridiculously deep. I don't remember how exactly we got here, but that was a hell of a, a hell of a tangent. I think it was necessary talking about how great and deep and young the league is, but um, <laughs> Brooke Lopez went inside a lot more in game five. I, I was probably like to go back to Brooke Lopez for just a second. That was probably his best game since he played in Brooklyn. In like whenever that was like, I'm pretty sure he made an all-star game in Brooklyn. Don't quote me on that, but that was probably his best game since he was in Brooklyn. Like, I feel like we, we give Brooke Lopez a lot of shit in particular. And I feel like, you know, he deserves some love from us. Again, my hate or my criticism of Lopez is not really due to him. It's due to Bud. Like if he was the backup center consistently, I think he would be able to play like this a lot more. Because, I mean, if you look with DiVincenzo out, they've been starting P.J. Tucker at the three. I mean, what the fuck? Like, that is not going to work. And, I again, I understand you have to because you don't want Connaughton out there airballing threes. So I get it. But that just shows that this team is, like, too big. And a, one of those guys is going to get pushed out. And, you know, Lopez, since he's gotten to, to Milwaukee, has become much more of a three-point shooter anyway. But I mean, he's he made you know he made his career off of being inside, and I think the the younger people watching the league right now need to realize like what Brook Lopez used to be. Like when he was on the Nets, this dude was averaging twenty plus every year. Like he was one of the best scoring centers in the league. So this is not really new for him to have a game like that. But just the way that the Bucks are shaped, you know, he's obviously doesn't have the same role that he used to have. But, yeah, it was, it was good to see. And also uh, a shout-out to Bobby Portis, who I've loved all year. He's been really good for them coming off the bench last night, uh, his first career playoff start, and he shows out. So shout-out to him as well. Shout-out to him. Really good series. I think – I don't think we really need to talk about anything else. Drew's been really hit or miss, but when he's when the game's on the line, he's been hit. So I don't think we really need to talk much about Drew because Bledsoe wouldn't have hit those shots down the stretch in game seven. He just wouldn't have. And then he wouldn't have done he wouldn't have had a performance like Holiday had last night when we pulled up the box score real quick. Sorry, I have my uh spreadsheet open. So last night Holiday had 25, 13 assists and six rebounds on nine of twenty shooting. Like it was by far it was probably his best game playoff game ever. And he, you know, I mean, Middleton with 26 holiday with 25 Brooke with 33 Portis with 22. That's the game. Like those four guys, that was the difference. And they all did a really good job. Anything else on the Milwaukee series before we move on? Well, I'll just say about drew real quick. I've been kind of surprised this playoffs that I think he's actually been better on offense than defense, which I never quite expected. I mean, again, he's had some bad games. Like, I think he was two of 11 um, game three. You know, that's that's just who Drew is. Like, he's going to have bad offensive games. But 
I think he's he's been really good this playoffs on offense. And he it's not that he's been bad on defense. I don't think he's been as good as I expected. Uh, but I mean, he's, he's been really good on offense and that's been the difference between this year's team and, uh, the last few teams for the Bucks. Indeed. So let's make our uh, predictions. So I'm going to put this out today. Um, what do you think is going to happen the rest of the series? Do you think Bucks and Bucks and six, do you think Hawks and seven, do you think Bucks and seven? What do you think? I mean, again, it depends on Trey's health. I still, I probably should research research injury reports before I come on this podcast because I never know how the hell people are feeling. <laughs> they wouldn't put the injury report out today, so the game is going to be played tomorrow. So yeah, they would put out the injury report tomorrow. So we're working with about the same level of information here, which is okay. Not. I mean, I'm sure there's some tweets that have some some possibilities, but I'll look up Chris Kirshner while you're talk while you're talking here. I I would say if Trey's healthy. They could definitely push it to seven, but then that begs the question: If they go to seven, does Giannis come back? Because again, I think Giannis could sit out the rest of the series if they win and be fine for the finals. But you know, you don't want to sit out for the finals if you have a chance of not actually getting there. So it's going to be really health dependent. I would say let's just assume they're both out for the rest of the playoffs. Uh, I would go ahead and take the Bucks because again, I think. Middleton and Drew, plus, you know, Portis and Lopez, like, that's good enough. As good as the Hawks' depth is, they're still led by Trey. So if he's not out there, they're put at a pretty severe disadvantage. Yeah, I think if both of them are out, let's just operate under that assumption, then I would go Bucks and seven because I think the Hawks role players will shoot really well at home again. I don't think Lou Will will have another game. I think that that's probably going to be his last great career game. Shout out to Lou Will. If, you know, if they lose this series, what a hell of a career. Like, I, I know he's not going to retire, but he's not going to ever get that again. Like, Lou will, he's going to have to fall off at some point. He's a high school guy. But I think I'm going to lean towards Bucks and seven if they both don't play. But I still think the Bucks could win game six, even at, in Atlanta. Like, they won, you know, the game seven in Brooklyn. Like, they've been really mentally tough team. And, you know, it's just whether or not, like, I mean, really, the Bucks offense, what they're doing with how bad their offense has been this whole playoffs is remarkable. Like, I don't, let's, we didn't talk about that and I, we need to move on, but their offense has been absolutely awful. But they've still, they're still a game away from the final. So I think I'm going to lean towards Bucks either in six or in seven. I'm not going to really choose because we don't know the availability, but um, let's move on to Clippers Suns. So, since I think this one has had fewer games since we last talked, but um, I think last time we talked, the Suns were up two or the Suns were up two one coming off of game three. So game four, 84, 80 um, Suns game five, 116, 102 Clippers. And then game six, 130, 103 Suns. It wasn't really that much of a blowout. Like the final score says so, but I don't think that the Clippers lost like, Chris Paul just put his foot on their throats. And I think that's where we should start. Chris Paul has been controversial topic around me the last couple of months, because I've been pointing out that he wasn't great for most of the playoffs, but this was, um, I mean, Dylan, I, he really just killed the Clippers. Like there's really no other way to put it. Like he just put his foot on their throat and they're out of the playoffs now. I mean, what did you think watching that Chris Paul performance? Oh, man, it was so fun. And watching his reaction after the game was great, too. 
because this has been a long time coming for him. But, I mean, that was, you know, a close game. I think at halftime the Suns were up uh, like nine. And nine in the NBA is nothing. Like, that's pretty easily erasable. And, you know, the Clippers were bringing it back. And I think Paul went on like a 14 out of 16 run. He just completely took over. And that three, the three from the top of the key where he was falling down, that he sunk, I mean, that was like that drained the energy out of the Clippers. So, I mean, 16 of 24, 7 of 8 from three, and the best thing, zero turnovers. I mean, the most Chris Paul performance ever. Don't forget and, the flops. Hey, you know, that's that's to be expected. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's why it's the ultimate Chris Paul performance. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, we've talked on this podcast about the – the game winner over Tim Duncan and this, this performance probably topped that. Yeah. You know, you, you don't get the dramatics because it wasn't at the end of the game, but I mean, he completely closed them out. I mean, 41, like that's, you know, that's matching what Paul George did the game before uh, to keep him in it. So, I mean, just, just great stuff. Uh, I mean, again, really, really exciting for him because He's he's been one of those guys where it's like, man, it would really suck if he retired without a ring. And he still may not get one, but he's at least got a shot. Yeah, he never had a shot before. I will say, underrated Chris Paul game because he got hurt and they ended up losing the series. I feel like he did really good in game five of the um the Warriors Rocket series. I mean 20 points, seven assists, or six assists, seven rebounds, um, zero turnovers in game five of the the rocket series. I mean, I still believe that if Chris Paul hadn't gotten hurt, they would have won the series. I mean, he's just, this is Chris Paul's always had the bad luck happen to him. Now it's happening around him, right? <laughs> like the asterisk talk is so silly to me. And obviously they haven't won anything yet. So we can't say if there's an asterisk or not to begin with, but the asterisk talk is always so silly because someone's always hurt. Right. Now, obviously this year, it feels like a more extreme example because Obviously, you know, Murray got hurt in April, you know, LeBron AD goes out in game three, right? All this stuff happens, but you can only play who's in front of you. You can't control who you're playing, right? It's not your fault. The clip Kawhi got hurt. It's not your fault. You know, the Nuggets were missing their whole backcourt, right? That's not your fault. You can only play who's in front of you and they've done a really good job. I mean, you can't really control this obviously, but they haven't gotten hurt, (laughs) And you have to give them credit for that. I mean, then the one guy who was getting hurt was Chris Paul, and he had an all-time performance in game six. Like, I don't think there's really any other way to describe it. Like, that was probably an all-time performance right there, like, from a Hall of Fame player. And he, listen, he was not good games three through five. I There's no other way to put it. But this game, he was getting, like, the first half, everyone was getting involved, right? Game, I'm sure you noticed in game five, Aiton barely touched the ball. Crowder barely touched the ball. Those two guys really stepped up in the first half. And then they put the, they put the Suns in a position where they could, where they could basically end the Clippers. And I think that Chris Paul, he really, he really turned the playoffs around because I don't, I don't think he was having that great of a playoffs. Like he did really good in the Nuggets series. I can't deny that. But in the Lakers series and this series, he was not doing the best. And he really, I mean, Dylan, just what an all-time performance. (laughs) Yeah, and he he definitely made up for some some of those earlier games because yeah, I mean, well, first of all, he misses the first two games of this series, so he had some uh, something to cook up there, 
but yeah, I mean, he's been hit or miss all playoffs and luckily they have the depth where they were able to, uh, you know, make up for it. And I still want to go back and watch those nuggets games. Cause I, that, I, I've watched zero seconds of that series. Cause I was on vacation. I didn't expect the Suns to kill them that quick. I was hoping, you know, a six day vacation, I'd be fine, but no. Um, but you know, Chris Paul closed them out too. So this this is what this is what these kind of guys can do, and this is why we always say how important veterans are because they know how to close games. And you know, Chris Paul can suck for six games or five games, and when it really matters, he pulls it out. And for this young Suns team, that was you know what they needed. And I mean, you've been giving credit to Jay Crowder all year too. I mean, he was awesome in this game as well. You know, hit hit a lot. You could tell. And we used to always say this about J.R. Smith, but you can tell if Jay Crowder hits the first three, it's going to be a good game. And he did that, and this one knocks down, I think it was the first or second shot of the game. You could tell this is going to be a Jay Crowder game. Ends up going five from nine from three, 19 points. I mean, Jay Crowder, two straight finals. Pretty pretty exciting for him as well. And hopefully this time uh, he can actually come out on the winning side. Yeah, and Jay Crowder threw the winning alley-oop in game two. Like, they don't yeah. win game two without Jay Crowder. So this was really – the Suns are such, like, a fascinating team to me because they're – talk about – we talked about the Hawks' steps. Like, they have really good depth. Like, Torrey Craig stepped up in a huge way in game six. Like, Paul George ate them alive in game five, and it didn't matter because Torrey Craig stepped up to the challenge. They were throwing bodies – Paul George, I don't think he had a bad game in game six, but they were really – Paul George was um, not being too passive. I'm not going to say that. He was definitely letting the game come to him more so than forcing the issue in game six. Like, he should have shot more, but I, at the same time, I don't blame him for not shooting when he had two two bodies on him. But part of that is Torrey Craig's pressure. He was really good in game six. Like, I don't think – that was a huge pickup for them. I don't think it'll do the same. He'll have the same impact against Milwaukee, but you have these guys that are on your bench. Like hell, Etwan Moore could step up if you needed him to. Abdel Nader came back. <laughs> I totally forgot he wasn't playing, but Abdel Nader came back. Like you have just so many options on your team that it's really like I think the Suns. They're in a really good spot right now. If Giannis isn't all the way healthy, you'd have to favor them against the Bucks. Yeah, and Cam Johnson didn't play in this game either. You know, mm-hmm. Cam Johnson's been a huge piece for them. And it's funny, Torrey Craig, uh, three points in 31 minutes, but he was plus 28. You know, so that just shows right there how big he was on defense. Uh, and, you know, that that's, again, we've talked about it all year, but this team on both sides of the floor is so connected. They, have the, they are probably the most balanced team in the league. And I'm not just saying that because they made it to the finals. Like, you could have said that all year. They have a great amount of ball handling and shooting and size on offense and defense. They got, you know, guys that can shut really good wings down and really good ball handlers down. And Aiton has, man, like this has been what Bam did last year. I don't think it's, I don't think it's crazy to say that. Like he has had a fabulous playoffs on both ends. And, you know, he has shown, and this is, I'm not going to say I'm surprised about this, but he has shown a really nice balance of strength and finesse because there's some guys like Gobert, for example, you know, he gets a pick and roll. He's going to slam it. 
But if he gets stopped short of that, he's most likely not going to make the shot. But Aiton is very capable of doing a little baby hook or even shooting a foul line jumper, you know. He's got a really nice bag on offense, and they were getting him involved right off the bat in that game. And I think it's because what you talked about, the game before, he wasn't doing as much. And, and you know, that's that's their advantage over the Clippers is that size. Uh, and they were killing them early on. And the Clippers were able to stay in it. But, you know, Aiton's presence in that first half really gave them a good advantage and, and helped – gets them to that place in the second half where Chris Paul could shut him out. Yeah. Aiton deserves a lot of flowers for this postseason. He's risen all very high on my board. Like just what he's been able to accomplish. And he's got the thing with Aiton is he's like, not, you know, he's not like Carl Anthony Towns on offense. Right. And he's not like, you know, bam on defense, but what he is, is he knows like he's learned what he is. Right. And I think Chris Paul does have a lot to do with that. Like Chris Paul, you know, is like, okay, you're going to, you need to catch lobs for us to win and you're going to catch lobs. But like what you said, you get him the ball with, let's just say Reggie, Reggie Jackson was switched onto him. You could throw it to him in the post. He'd keep it up high. And then, you know, he'd hit a jump hook or he'd hit a, you know, a face up jumper. Like he's got skills. And I think that the more he expands on those skills and the more he works on his game, like he could be a legitimately a top 25 player in the league. Like he's really talented. I think we're scratching the surface with Aiton. Um, I'm trying to think of any other. I think we've covered all the Suns storylines, really. I don't think there's really much else to talk about with the Suns. But anything else you want to talk about on the Suns before we move on to the Clippers? Well, I'll just say real quick again on Aiton. There was a play where he got matched up on Paul George. And I could. there's a lot of centers in the league Miles Turner being one of them, that you, he gets matched up on a smaller guy. He's just going to pull up over him because, you know, like, like Paul George is a good defender. You know, if if you don't have the strength, it's going to be tough to get around him. But Aiton, he he beat him. He like he made a little dribble move, got right around Paul George and got to the rim. And that, to me, was a huge sign of his confidence and his belief in his game. Because, you know, getting matched up on a guard is one thing. Like, you know, like you should take him to the hole, right? But Paul George, that's not an easy guy to get around, even if you're seven foot, 250, you know? So that was a really good sign. And again, Chris Paul definitely has had a huge part in his development. And I hope moving forward that he can keep this up. It'll be interesting to see what goes on in the Bucs series. But um, I'm, I'm presuming the Bucs will win. I can't say that for sure. But let's talk about the Clippers now. And we're going to cut. I think this will be the start of our funerals. We'll spend more time on the Clippers than anybody else. But God, what a fucking playoffs for them, man. Like they were so resilient. They could have quit so many different times. And yes, Patrick Beverly had a very bad play at the end of game six. But other than that, this team fought. They scrapped. They clawed. I mean, Dylan, Paul George, totally. I think he he changed the narrative completely. Like coming into the playoffs, you know, way off P, you know, hit the backboard in last year's playoffs. This year, I like there are things you could critique about him, but I just I don't think that those are relevant. Like he did so much for this team. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for how he played this playoffs. Yeah, I mean, when Kawhi went down, it was like, all right, it's over. Like, we don't trust Paul George. He's not going to pull this out. And he stepped up. Reggie Jackson stepped up. And that was enough to get them to this point where, you know, they could make the conference finals for the first time ever and and push a really good Suns team, you know, to six games without their best player. 
So, I mean, really impressive. And, you know, we've talked about Ty Lue a lot. Uh, the adjustments he made in that Mavs series really well, carried over into the Jazz series, and they were able to, you know, knock them out. Uh, I'm not going to say with ease, but certainly a lot easier than I expected. So, really, really good stuff from Ty Lue and, and really good stuff from Paul George for sure. Definitely a redeeming uh, postseason after – Really, it's been a long time since he's had a standout postseason because the one, you know, obviously Indiana past the last couple of years weren't as good. And Oklahoma City had the shoulder injury last year, apparently shoulder problems, too. But now, you know, healthy, he had a really good, really good showing. And, you know, some of the games weren't great. But again, it, at the the end there, he was basically on his own aside from Reggie Jackson. So. Yeah, really, really impressive showing from Paul George. I mean, Reggie Jackson, he redeemed himself too. Like, no one thought he was capable. I mean, I certainly didn't think he was capable of this. We already ate crow on Reggie. But we'll talk about him when we bury them because I'll ask, like, a big picture question for them. But, like, they played their asses off. Like, they had no business really taking two games off of this Suns team. And when they did beat the Suns, they beat them by double digits both times. Like, Paul George with, you know, one of the best performances of his career, I probably the best performance of his career in game five with 41, 13 and six on 15 of 20 shooting. Like it's just, it's just ridiculous. But, you know, game six, he only got up six shots, but he, Dylan, I think Paul George also played like 150 more minutes than like anybody else left in the playoffs. Like he's been, and I know, you know, Oh, you know, these guys are all playing you know, they're all, you know, doing the same, but Paul George was doing a lot for this team. And I think he's not LeBron, right? LeBron could like prime LeBron could carry that kind of workload because he's a once in a generation kind of guy. I don't think Paul George could. And I don't think that's really any indictment on Paul George. No, I mean, we've, we've really discovered that he's better as a second banana or at least like an, like a, an AB type of guy. Like he's not going to be your best player, but he could be close to your best player. So that's what we expect out of him. And, and that's how it was shaping up early on with Kawhi. Man, Kawhi was so good after game two of that Dallas series. And, you know, if Kawhi didn't get hurt, I don't think we would be here talking about the Suns as much. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, definitely a lot fell onto Paul George's plate, man. And, and uh, he stepped up. So can't can't really say much bad about it. No, you certainly can't. Um, let's go ahead and move on. We'll start the funerals here, but we'll start with uh, the Clippers, obviously. Big picture. I think the Clippers are in a really good pit place. You know, Kawhi is going to come back. They could maybe make some moves to get better around the edges. But, I mean, the edges, like, they got contributions from DeMarcus Cousins. Remember when we rode off DeMarcus Cousins after Rockets week? I mean, he wasn't the best, but he, he chipped in. Um, they got a whole lot better from Beverly. You know, I know Beverly had, like – that was a punk move from Beverly, but they got a lot better after they got a lot better after a game, like after the the Maverick series, when it looked like Beverly couldn't play anymore, like from the jazz series and the sun series, he was a really good contributor. They got a lot from Nick Batum. They got hell when Rondo played, they got a lot from him. They got a lot from Terrence Mann. like Dylan. I think that the Clippers should be very optimistic about next season. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see where they go because, again, like Reggie Jackson probably gone. He might not be, but very well could be. 
But if you if he's gone, then you fall back on the situation that we talked about before Reggie Jackson popped off, that they need a point guard. We know Patrick Beverly's not it. So, again, it very well could be like a Kyle Lowry or die type of situation where they either get him um, or someone, you know, that's at least a small upgrade. Otherwise, they're going to have issues because as good as Paul George and Kawhi were, they needed Reggie Jackson to do this. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made it this far. So, you know, you either get him back or someone close to as good or better. Otherwise, it's going to be an issue. So, you know, we'll see. I'm not I'm not super confident in them moving forward. Um, I mean, there's still a little bit of doubt that Kawhi is going to come back. It's not like 100% lock, I don't think. So, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, we can assume he'll go back and at least for one more year. But, I mean, Terrence Mann was a major step up, too. Uh, so that was something to, to lean back on and something to take out of it positively. So we'll see. I mean, we both like Ty Lue a lot. So if he can get some guys in there he likes, you know, maybe they'll be fine. Yeah, I think that, you know, you bring up good points. Um, another guy, I think I've heard that the Clippers and the Lakers are going after Kemba. So that could be mm-hmm. interesting. Interesting. Like have him – like there were, there are going to be a lot less expectations for Kemba and for the Clippers than there was in Boston. I'll say that. So that might be a little interesting if they can't get Lowry, that might be a little bit of an interesting look. Um, I don't think, I think you said everything we need to say about the Clippers. So let's go ahead and start. We're going to do from the play in on. So a lot of teams, let's start with the Spurs. Um, Dylan, the Spurs this year, they had a, you know, they had a decent year. Wasn't very inspired by them. I I liked them in the first half when we saw them, but the second half, I was not very inspired. Um, Dylan, is this the team with the bleakest future in all of basketball? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, getting rid of Aldridge was like the start of the teardown. And I think this summer we're going to see the completion of that. And, you know, DeMar DeRozan's probably gone. Patty Mills, maybe. But, you know, when those guys leave, Rudy Gay, if, if those guys are gone, then it's like, okay, we have some nice young guys, but none of them are going to be superstars. They'd be really nice around a superstar, but they're not going to be the superstars themselves. So, you know, this this might have to be a, uh, a tank to the bottom type of deal for the Spurs, which I know Popovich probably won't like. But, hey, they actually have a pretty good track record of uh, of doing well with the first overall pick. So maybe it wouldn't be the, the worst uh, way to go. Yeah, and there's some there's some kid that's going to Gonzaga next year that's supposed to be really good. So we'll we'll see. I don't remember his name. Caleb will probably text me when he hears this. But their future is really bleak because DeMar is definitely gone. And DeMar was keeping the ship afloat. Like, everyone shits on DeMar DeRozan, but he was, he was still really good. Like, I have him pretty low in my top 100. Like, I don't have him in the top 50. But I still can't deny how good that man is at basketball. And once he's gone, they don't have a primary shot creator. And if you don't have a primary shot creator, it's going to be re- – like, unless you're Tom Thibodeau, that's really hard to get something out of nothing. So, I don't think they'll be able to get something out of nothing. I think they should just blow it up to hell. Unless they can, you know, manage to get something for those prospects. But I don't I don't think they will be. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the Hornets. Dylan – 
I'd say the Hornets have a pretty bright future. We really like them a lot during the regular season. They dealt with a lot of injuries towards the end of the season. You know, Hayward missed the last 28 games. He didn't play the play-in game. LaMelo came back right before the play-in game, and he really struggled after he came back. But you have LaMelo, you have Hayward, you have Rozier. Um, Graham's future is in flux. I mean, how are you feeling? Like, this basically what the funerals are going to be. How are you feeling about this team in the future? Like, how are you feeling about this team's offseason? It's going to be interesting. Uh, P.J. Washington had a tough year. Uh, but on the flip side, Miles Bridges had a great year, you know. So it's like, you know, maybe they they package some of that depth and they get Miles Turner or, you know, they get Rich on Holmes in free agency. Like, I, I think they're, they're, they are like a – a good defending center that can like get lobs and maybe shoot. Um, they're that guy away from being like a solid playoff team. Uh, you know, you're going to have Lomelo in second year, Terry Rozier coming off the best year of his career. So I feel pretty good about them. I don't think they need to make any drastic changes. You know, Gordon Hayward got hurt at the end of the year too. So I, I think they're in a decent spot. Like they're probably not going to make a massive jump either way. But I mean, I think I think they're pretty a pretty good bet to uh, be a play-in team next year. I would say so. Like they got a really like you said about Miles. I'm really high on Miles Bridges. Like I think that he's a keeper. I think you have four keepers on this roster. Rozier, uh, obviously Rozier's not a keeper if you can get something better. But I think right for right now Rozier's a keeper. Rozier, Lamelo, Hayward, and Bridges. I think those four guys. You have something. Right. Let's if you can package, you know, a couple of those guys, see if you can't get something better. That's great. But obviously you don't trade LaMelo, but they looked really good this year when they were all healthy. They were they were better than the Hawks when they were healthy. So that's a, that's going to be interesting to see what the Hornets do next year. Now let's move on to the Golden State Warriors. Dylan, the Warriors have a big offseason ahead of them. And I'm going to frame this one a little differently based on what you saw this year. Is there any way they're going to be able to get back to like even half of what they were in 2019? Probably not. I us people are doubting Clay Thompson a little bit too much. I think at this point, and it's probably recency bias that he hasn't played. But I mean, he's the one guy where I don't think two lower leg injuries would really kill him. I mean, look at Durant this year. Durant mm-hmm. was much more likely to like be bad after an Achilles uh, injury and he was great. And, you know, he missed a lot of games, but when he did play, he was great. Clay Thompson does nothing on offense, but shoot and, you know, great defender, but I don't think those injuries are going to completely take his legs out from under him. So I wouldn't be shocked. Like he's probably not going to be as good, but I wouldn't be shocked if he's still all-star level. And we saw Curry, I mean, what he's capable of when he's on his own, we know what he's capable of when he's with star talent. If you have those two guys firing on all cylinders, you're in a really good spot. And, I mean, Draymond, I think, had a redemption year as well, especially on defense. The The guys around the edges, you know, we'll see. I, there's, it seems like they're very involved in trade discussions. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if they try to flip Wiggins after a good year. Um you know, you're going to have to get a big contract back, but, you know, we'll see. There's been talk about Pascal Siakam. I mean, you know, we're talking about – we talked pre-pod about having him at the five for the Raptors. I mean, the the Warriors at the five this past year were a disaster. <laughs> they – like, Looney was by far their best center, and I like Looney, but if he's by far your best center, your center position's pretty bleak. So, 
you know, I, I think that they could go that route. Um, if they don't make any moves, they're probably going to be a lower, you know, bottom half of the West type of team. Um, probably play in level, maybe a little better, but I definitely think they might have something up their sleeve. So we'll just have to wait and see how the offseason goes. That's a, that's a good way to put it. I think I clay. I hope really hope he comes back hundred percent because clay Thompson, when he's healthy is one of the most fun players in the league, but I, I, I'm just skeptical. I'd like to see it. I know that guys are starting to get better sooner from the lower leg injuries, but I mean, look how many games Kevin Durant and John wall played this year. Like, there's a good chance he doesn't play more than 45 games next year. So if that's a risk you're willing to take, then yeah, I'd say I'd probably have him still. He's not going to fall off as a shooter. There's no way, but I don't know if you can run him off pin downs the same way you could in 2019. Right. Like, I don't know if that's, if he's just going to be a corner guy. We'll see on that front. Um, the Indiana Pacers. I feel like we talked about them last week, so we don't have to talk about them as much here. But I think they're going to make a big move. And do you think? Okay, let me frame it this way: Do you think that if do you think the Pacers could get avoid the play-in next year? They certainly could. I still think that. I mean, if that Ben Simmons report is accurate, they're seemingly shopping Brogdon, and maybe that's just a circumstance thing where they felt like they could upgrade. Um, but you know, we've talked already that I don't think it would be crazy if they traded anyone on this team, really. Um, so, you know, we'll have to see again where they go in the off season, but where they're at right now, I feel pretty good. I mean, it's a good roster again, TJ Warren missing all year really hurt them. They've got a much better coach, much better. Uh, a little bit surprised by that Lloyd Pierce hiring as well, but I mean, it doesn't hurt to have another voice in there, um, that has coaching experience. So. You know, I, I think they're in a good spot. I think they certainly could avoid the play-in. But, again, the East is such a toss-up right now. Like, it could be awful, and it could completely go under expectations like it did this year. Or, you know, injuries kind of break the right way, and maybe it's really competitive. So, we'll have to see. But I definitely think they have a good shot. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, they're in a really good spot. Like, I, I'm going to keep saying this but they really have a lot of chips that they can use. Like they have a lot of really good players and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, like we saw, we talked about the Brogdon rumor earlier and I wouldn't be surprised, you know, maybe like maybe TJ Warren gets that shipped out of town. You never know. Like they have a lot of stuff they can do that. I don't think would drastically change the outlook of this team. Like they did all that. Like they were still, I know they had the season out of hell, but they weren't awful. And you could see the, the baseline for success. Right with Carlisle, so I, they definitely have the biggest coaching upgrade in a good while. That's for sure. I could see them getting back to like you know 48, 49 win territory at absolute best case scenario, but that's for next year. Um, our Memphis Grizzlies, Dylan Hughes. <laughs> I think that of all the shocking young teams in the playoffs, the way they played in the Jazz series might have been the most shocking. Like you and I were both we we're, were really high on the Grizzlies. But I don't think either of us saw John Morant or Dylan Brooks playing this well. And I mean, if those two guys, obviously, I don't think Dylan Brooks can keep it up on offense, but his defense is dogged. And his offense, if he can be, you know, 20 points on 45, 38 from three, like, I think that they have a really, I think they could be, they could avoid the play in next year if they add the right piece. Yeah. I mean, Brooks's offense was shocking to me. Like, this was a guy that, his career has been 
I'm going to shoot 13 of 20 tonight and three of 20 tomorrow. Like that's been who he is. And he did not really have that in the playoffs. He was pretty straight, like a good, efficient score. So add that to the defense. And, you know, again, probably not sustainable throughout um, a season. Maybe it just happened to be a really good run in the playoffs. But, I mean, again, the, the defense for what they already have there defensively is really good. I still, you know, they definitely need more on offense uh, outside of jaw. And again, maybe Jaron Jackson is able to provide that uh, coming back from the injury. But yeah, I mean, it's like, God, if you could slide a really nice wing in there, it, it changes everything. If you could like push Kyle Anderson to the bench and have a, a better score there, you know, that would, I think, change everything. And it feels like we've had that discussion with the Grizzlies going back to like 2010 that they're like one good wing away. Uh, still haven't found that guy. So, you know, not going to expect it, but you know, we'll see. It's uh, they're, they're that close. I think from being a real dominant team in the West. Here's, here's an idea I just had. So instead of giving analysis, you know, I love fake Grizzlies trades. They're my favorite variety, but what if you sell high on Jaron? Right. And you say, Hey, Toronto, we see you're trying to trade. Um, we see you're trying to trade Pascal. Why take, why take James Wiseman when you have, when you can have Jaron Jackson jr. It's an interesting idea, but man, I, I'm just kind of, I'm still not sure that Pascal at the four with his shooting issues right now is the right way to go. Like, I really think, if you're going to have, I think he needs to work on the inside. So Valanciunas is a guy that can shoot, but shouldn't really much. So Pascal would be forced. Look how much Jaron was shooting when he was out there. You know, do you, they're two different players, but do you want to have Pascal shooting that much? No, I don't. You're right. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's the right idea, but I still think a guy that can provide a little bit more space uh, would be better fit. Well, something like that, something in that range. I think you could probably get something nice if you gave up because Jaron Jackson Jr. is still, I think, only 21. So, like, he's still very young compared to the rest of his draft class. So I think that he has that going for him. But that's going to be interesting to see how they approach the offseason. Let's go ahead and move on to the Washington Wizards. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on them. I just don't think they'll be as good next year. I mean, I don't see any ways for them to get better. And I think they're going to be about the same. I think they're going to be in that same seven to 10 range again. I'm sorry. Who was the team? The Wizards. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah. I mean, the Wizards, man, that's one moving forward I'm really intrigued about because we got the whole Russell Westbrook experience this year. I mean, he went from being terrible at the beginning of the year to like dragging them to the playoffs on his own. Um, You know, Bradley Beal still. debatable whether he'll stick around Rui had a really strong second half of the season uh really showed up as like a a really nice third guy and they're gonna get Thomas Bryant back Daniel Gafford was really good once they got him the wing situation is iffy uh you know Bertans really didn't have a great year he was really good the year before and then last year I don't know it just it wasn't clicking the same so uh We'll see, man. Like, I, I definitely wouldn't be shocked if they were a playing team. But at the same time, I wouldn't be shocked if they were, like, the 11th seed. 
I just, it's going to be tough because Russ can't keep doing this forever. And even this wasn't that great this year. Like this Russell Westbrook in years past would have taken this Wizards team. They would have been the fifth seed, right? But Russ isn't that guy anymore. He's just not. And they, they went on a tear in the second half. I just, I don't see them doing that again. I really don't. I think they'll, I think this team is a real clear regression candidate, but even then regression might still land them in the seven to 10 range. So, I mean, given the general overall quality of the East, but I'll, I'll just go to the teams. I think will be better than them next year. Obviously the teams in front of them, right? I think all of those teams will be better than them. Even with the upheaval in Boston, I think the Pacers will be better than them next year. I think the Hornets will be better than them next year. I think the Raptors will be better than them next year. And I think there's a real chance the Bulls could be better than them. (laughs) So we have a lot of teams that could be better than the Wizards next year. Obviously, we don't know what they'll do yet, but it's going to be real interesting to see the direction they go. And now we move on to Dylan Hughes' favorite team in the whole league. He bleeds purple and gold. That's right. The Los Angeles Lakers. We were talking about this before the show. You said you got some Lakers takes. I'm going to let you get, I'm going to clear out, let you get them off your chest. Well, I'm just wondering if the Lakers title windows closed. And it feels dumb to say that with LeBron and AD, but it also feels smart to say that with LeBron and AD because their health is very unreliable at this point. And, you know, we knew LeBron would get to this point because he's he made it like 17 years with basically no injuries aside from the back spasms. And we knew it was going to build into this because he's been playing professional basketball for a long time and he's made played a lot of playoff games. And I mean, that, puts a toll on someone, especially someone that's, you know, that massive of a human being. And yeah, like we know that he puts a lot of time into his body to keep it, you know, healed and healthy. But again, that's just the way nature works is you get close to 40 and you can't play basketball very well anymore. So it, you know, we saw it this year, missed a good amount of time. AD has basically had no healthy season in his career. And the, I think what worked for them last year is that they got three, four months off because of COVID. So a lot of the injury time that they probably would have missed by playing basketball for an entire season, they got a ton of time off. And I think that that really helped them a lot uh, to get to this point where they could, you know, make a good finals run and, and, and stick it out and, and be healthy. And it's kind of funny. LeBron complained all year about not having enough time off between the finals and the start of the next season, as if he didn't get three months off, you know, he got, they got way more time off last year than they would have any other year. And just because, you know, he only got six or whatever weeks off before the start of the new season. I just don't think that's a great excuse. Um, So I'm just, I'm curious to see if this is, if that's, if that one weren't, if that one run was it, because again, I don't, I don't trust their health and the talent around them. I don't trust in general. So, you know, it's, I feel dumb counting them out, but I feel like the, just kind of the way nature works and the history of Davis, especially suggests that, you know, that, that may have been the one run they had in them. Well, Anthony Davis, I think has been a little healthier, like, okay. He's played 75 games. So the, the year, where he demanded the trade. He only played 56 games, but he was healthy. They just sat him because, you know, they didn't want that 
problem on their hands. Before that, the like the most games he'd missed with injury was all the way back in 2016. So maybe he's falling apart, but he'd been pretty healthy since, you know, since 2016. Like he played 68 games in 15, then 61 games in 16, then 75, 75, 56, and he would have played about 75 and 19. Then he played 62 last year, which, you know, last year was the shortened schedule. So he missed, I think, 11 games last year about. Then this year he played half the season. So this was the first real injury scare he's had in a while. But the LeBron thing, I think, is more important because Anthony Davis is great. But we saw, you know, eight years of evidence that he can't do it without LeBron. (laughs) So if he's the face of your franchise, then that's a problem. And if, if LeBron can bounce back next year, that's great. And I think this added rest from getting eliminated early might help him, right? We saw that last year. We saw that in 2020. He missed the playoffs in 2019. And look at how he came out in 2020, 2019-20. So this could be beneficial, but you're right. Father time, you know, father time doesn't miss anybody. <laughs> There's no one that goes out on their own terms at the age of like 48. So it's going to catch up to him at some point. I I would probably tend to agree with you. I still think, like, they were so good this year when they were all healthy. And I know that was only for, like, 20 games. But, like, they were by far the best team in the league when they were all healthy, like, early in the season. I just – I can't help but think that they might reclaim some of that. But you're right. The durability is definitely a concern. Yeah, and there is a pathway to them getting another star because – somehow Dennis Schroeder's convinced himself that he's like a top five point guard in the league. And I don't know where he's coming from to demand as much money as he's getting or he wants. Um, And at the same time, I wouldn't be shocked if the Knicks give it to him, but you know, (laughs) if, if Dennis Schroeder's gone, you cut all the dead weight. uh, Most of that being Andre Drummond, you know, you free up some cap all of a sudden and uh, apparently Talon Hurt and Tucker is going to get a max offer somehow, averaging like six minutes a game. Uh, so that's going to, you know, clear a spot too. But I don't know. Like I keep talking about Kyle Lowry mostly because he's like the one attainable star, I think, in this free agency class. But, you know, you get Kyle Lowry and what I just said changes a little bit. It, I, it still wouldn't put them at the top of the title race, I don't think, but – I mean, it gets you a lot closer. So it's, again, I keep saying we'll have to wait for the offseason, but it just is kind of breaking to be one of those offseasons that's going to just be a ton of change. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if it was like, what, two or three years ago where like 40% of the, the, the players moved teams. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if we get close to that because it just seems like with as many teams becoming a lot more competitive, there's more teams actively looking to get better which is kind of new. Like we're used to half the league sucking. So half the league kind of just sits out and and collects draft picks. But now, I mean, look at the bulls, you know, they made a run. They got Vucevic last year. There's, there's a lot of these lower end teams starting to kind of collect good players for the first time in a while. So we're seeing more active teams. uh, And, you know, that means more trades. That means more guys moving around. So, it's going to be a fun off season. And again, if the Lakers can nab one of those top guys, the discussion changes, but I think where we stand right now, you know, it's concerning. Yeah. And I think that's a good jumping off point for the Lakers. Um, Let's go ahead and rapid fire through. Well, let's rapid fire through the Celtics. I mean, 
I don't think we can predict in any way what's going to happen with the Celtics next year. I really don't. No, I mean, I didn't expect them to get rid of Kemba that quick. You know, like it felt like something that was going to be hard to do. And Brad Stevens, first thing he does is dump him for uh, his old pal Al Horford. So, yeah, where they, where they go at point guards, an interesting question, um, an important question, even though you get a lot of ball handling out of Horford, uh, Tatum and Brown. So we'll see. You know, you're talking about Marcus Smart being possibly out, uh, which would be a big deal because he's been kind of a stalwart for them for years now. So, yeah, I mean, pretty unpredictable. But, but I've, as I've said on previous shows, when you have Tatum and Brown, it doesn't matter a ton what else you do outside of that. You know, you're, you're in a really good place for the long term. So we'll see. But they're in a good spot either way. And I like the Horford. I like them getting back Horford in that trade. I think he's going to be a contributor for them. Like he's not going to be what he was in 2018, but he can still help the team. So I think that'll be interesting to see um, if they can, you know, get a scoring guard. I think that's what they need the most, but I I really can't say about the Celtics for right now because I really have no clue. But um, our next team, the Portland Trailblazers, God, they're a fucking dumpster fire. And I feel like we should save them for if slash when Dame actually demands a trade. Like, cause I feel like we could devote like 40 minutes to the Portland situation, but I think we could just be quick on this one and say they're a fucking trash fire and they're probably not going to look the same next year. Yeah. Which is kind of sad. Cause like, I really like where their roster is and it's not good enough to get out of the first round apparently, but it's still, you know, not a bad team. And I don't know. Uh, it's it's going to be fascinating. They're going to make a trade of some sort because either they're going to get rid of Dame or they're going to make a trade to make Dame happy, you know? So we'll see. Again, could have a lo- much longer discussion about that, but I think that's one of the teams that's going to dictate how this offseason goes because either they're going to make a splashy trade, bringing someone in, or they're going to send Dame out. And either way, it's going to kind of alter the landscape of the league. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be the most, I mean, if Dame gets traded, that's the biggest star traded since obviously Harden, but it's going to be the biggest summer move since AD. Like we're kind of overdue for this personally. I don't, I don't want to, we really should do this another time. We'll, we'll talk. Let's, let's do this. We'll talk about the Portland situation next week. I think that's probably a good tease for our audience because it'll be game one of the finals. We'll talk about everything going wrong there. Um, an organization where not much is going wrong. I mean, they just made the finals last year. The Miami Heat. I mean, Dylan, I think that they were really impacted by the shortened season too. Like, I'd say they were probably the team most impacted by it because Jimmy missed the first 20 games. They got in a rut. I mean, they managed to get it to the sixth seed, but I don't. I think next year they'll bounce back in a major way. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not as convinced because as the league changes, they've stayed the same. And as Jimmy ages, you know, you start to worry. And Bam didn't have a great uh, postseason either, despite having a really good regular season. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Tyler Hero's kind of fall off was uh, not helpful. You know, Duncan Robinson could very well leave. If he gets uh, a big offer from the Grizzlies or someone else, you know, maybe the Heat say, oh, we'll just get another undrafted guy that can do this. And they probably won't, but they'll try. So, you know, I'm not I'm not super convinced. They still don't really have an answer at point guard. I mean, Drogic gets older and Kendrick Nunn is also a free agent that's probably going to get too much money. So we'll see. 
I'm not super convinced that that they're going to, you know, just bounce back uh, to what they were before. But at the same time, I, I trust Jimmy and Bam. So, you know, that's that's a good start. Yeah, I think Jimmy and Bam as your foundation, that's pretty damn good. And I know Bam had a bad postseason, but still regular season. He was doing Bam things. I think he needs to learn to contain himself. But if he does, I mean, listen, Bam is probably the best defensive player, like is one of the two best defensive players in the league. So you have that on your side. You have a hell of a baseline. So I think that that's going to be really important for them. And I think they'll they'll do something right. They're going to do something. Pat Riley is one of the best GMs in the league. Like, I think they'll they'll figure out a way. Right. Like I trust there are like two GMs I trust implicitly in the league. Pat Riley, Masai Ujiri. I think those two guys can always get something done no matter what the circumstances are. And I think that Pat Riley, they'll just figure out a way, you know, put his rings on the table. You know, I think that I think he'll find a way. Yeah. I mean, he's going to do something like he, he, I mean, he made the trade for Victor Oladipo last year, which didn't work out. It's kind of funny that we talked on that, trade deadline about how great of a trade that was for them and how they gave up nothing. And then Kelly Olenek was by far the best player in that trade. And they could have used him in the, in the playoffs, by the way. But yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll figure something out again. I I think it's going to be a a crazy trade landscape and uh, Pat getting involved in that certainly wouldn't surprise me. And they have two very enticing expirings in tragic and uh, Iguodala. So they could they could have full use of those, but let's move on to our next team, a team that I'm not really sure what they're going to do next year. The Dallas Mavericks, um, they're in a little bit of flux organizationally, but that seems to have been the case the last couple of years. Um, Dylan, where do you go from here if you're the Dallas Mavericks? Oh man, who knows? I mean, like. A lot of people, I think, want to trade Chris Dapps, but this would be the worst time to trade him because, first of all, you have a massive contract. So, you know, or are you going to get Kemba? Like, is that is that a much better option? I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, you want to trade a guy when the value is high. And it's the same thing with Ben Simmons. You know, this is probably the lowest his value has been. What the hell can you get back for him? It's probably not going to be what you want. Same thing with Chris Dapps. And it's, I mean, they got to get, they got to try to get another ball handler, I think. And again, I've talked about Kyle Lowry. He's going to fit on every team in the league. So I'm going to keep bringing him up no matter who we talk about, including the team we just talked about Miami. So I think, I seriously think that's, that's the chess move that teams make is get Kyle Lowry. You get Kyle Lowry, you're in a good spot. And I think that Mavericks would be in a lot better spot if they got him. There's some there's some other roster moves they can make, like maybe trying to upgrade over Josh Richardson. You got to re-sign Hardaway, which is a big one. So it's like, man, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff to do. And Luca's already getting frustrated, and uh, that's, you know, not a great sign. It may not mean much in the end, but, I mean, they just got rid of one of the best coaches in the league for Jason Kidd. So – it may not matter what they move. He may figure a way to slam that into the ground anyway. That's a good point. That's a, that's a good point. Um, listen, I I agree with everything you just said. I, I It's so hard because the Hawks did it right, and they didn't. And we obviously didn't know that at the time because it's only been three years. <laughs> we shouldn't be judging this stuff three years into a guy's career, but 
Trey and Luca are so good that we are. And imagine if Luca had Reddish and Hunter and Bogdanovich and Gallinari. Like, it would be a lot better for him. But, I mean, their best player that they have on the roster that's not Luca or Porzingis is probably Dorian Finney-Smith. Like, they're not really in a great place right now. I just, I don't think that there's a whole lot of avenues. Like, they have $25 million in cap space, and they better use it right. Because if they don't, they're going to regret it for the next, you know. Or they can have $25 million in cap space, and if they don't use it right, they're going to really regret it. Um, in the interest of time, let's go ahead and move on to the New York Knicks. I mean, it feels like this one's easy for me for in terms of what they should do. Just spend your money smartly because you have a lot of it. And you don't want to waste it all on Tim Hardaway and Norm Powell. <laughs> you know what scares me about them is they're feeling themselves right now because they had a they made the playoffs, and people keep talking about Chris Paul, and I'm kind of worried for them that they're going to wait on Chris Paul and miss out on everyone else. And if that happens, then they're going to have a bunch of cash in their pocket, and they're not going to be any better. So, I think I think you should make really good mid-tier moves early on and and just see what you got because, you know, Randall and Barrett had pretty good years, all things considered, uh, you know, quickly showed a lot of promise. So I, I think they're fine to just make small moves. I think – and I think Leon Rose last year kind of showed that he's not going to go big fish hunting or whatever the phrase is like past, you know, front offices have. Because I think he's come in realizing we're not New York, like we're the Knicks, and that's not a good thing. So we need to do good things kind of around the fringes and build a solid team, draft well, and we'll be fine. And I don't think they need to go for that big star. And if they get really good interest from Lowry or Chris Paul or whatever, and they're going to sign on day one, do it. you know. But if you're going to have to wait two weeks – then I think you need to just get what you can early on and, and just slowly progress and not worry about jumping to the first seed in one year. Yeah. There's no need to, you know, you can play the long game if you're the Knicks. Like, you know, I think personally that they're one of the most, other than the Sixers, they're probably the most logical Dame destination just in terms of what they can give up and what they can trade. But you know, if you don't get Dame, that's okay. You still, there's going to be, you know, Steph Curry's going to be a free agent next year. Like you can build up your team to get the big fish. Like you don't need to do that right away. And I think that they're in the process of building their team up. And I think they'll be in a really good place. You know, I think they'll probably be in a play in hunt next year, but I don't think that they'll get worse. If that makes sense. I just think the rest of the East will get better around them and teams will be where they're supposed to be. But the Knicks had a really good season. I want to shout out to them because we didn't think we certainly didn't think they could do this. So I think they're easily the team that most broke our expectations. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the nuggets. I mean, really this nuggets thing is whether or not you can get another contributor around the team. to to bolster the team once Jamal Murray gets back. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if you need to worry too much about that. Cause I think if they had Murray, I don't think they would have lost in that second round, at least to that degree. I mean, Aaron Gordon was put in an elevated spot. They didn't trade for him to be the third best guy. You know, they traded for him to be a really, really good fourth best player. And, you know, he had to do a lot more than he needed to really. So it's interesting because I, I still think the 
the case for trading Porter Jr. now is strong. I mean, he's he's on a rookie deal. He has health issues in the past. Like, he's not a great defender. A lot of his offensive uh, abilities are elevated by playing with Jokic. Like, I think you could very – I think you could make a strong case that, hey, you know, there's a really good guy like Beal out there or Dane that we could very easily parlay this guy and, and convince some other team that he can be their best player and, you know, ship him off and some other stuff to get a really, really good guard. And, I mean, if you have two really good guards and Jokic, like, that's that could be a dynasty. It really could. So, you know, at, at the same time, though, they could make small moves and maybe beef up the bench a little bit and be fine. So, I think just unlucky this year with with Jamal Murray getting hurt and some of the other issues they had. So I think they're in a decent spot. Here's an idea for you. And I don't know if either team would bite on this, but would you do Barton and MPJ for Rozier if you're the Hornets? See, that's really interesting because Murray is a guy that is more off ball anyway. And if you have two good ball handlers and passers alongside him, really interesting. And Rozier Uh, played the two most of this year. Yeah, exactly. So I think he's proven he can play both on and off ball. His his off the catch shooting this year was really good. So that's another strong thing. Uh, and I mean, for the Hornets, that makes a lot of sense too, because they really need to get rid of one guard. And we keep talking about Graham, but you know, Rozier again, another guy coming off a really good year. Uh, you know, I think MPJ would fit into that offense too where he would be able to come off of uh, Lamelo instead of Jokic and have a lot of the same benefits. So, yeah, I think that would make a lot of sense for both teams. I think it's an interesting idea. Um, by the way, you brought up Devontae Graham. I think Devontae Graham and Patty Mills are two guards who could swing, like, conferences next year. Like, I know that's a little bit of a hyperbole, but, like, those guys are good enough to get, come off the bench and ch- totally change your team. Like, be the awesome six-man that you need. And they're going to get – Patty Mills is going to go somewhere like he could definitely swing a conference like he's that good. Like I know he, you know, was toiling away in San Antonio, but I thought some team should have tried to steal on this, this trade deadline, but I understand why they wouldn't want to trade him. Um, So now we're on, I think now we're onto the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, Dylan, this team is the favorite next year and there's no other way to put it. Like they're going to get better. They're going to sign guys like Daniel Tice. They might get Patty Mills. You know, I feel like they're going to get a lot of guys that want to ring chase. And this team, the team next year will be significantly better than the team this year. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's going to talk about the big three, but I really think Steve Nash and again, very easy job for him. But there and I tweeted this a few weeks ago that there's a few things he did this year that really showed me that he has good coaching in him. Um, And I talked all year about Bruce Brown. I mean, taking Bruce Brown, who has basically no shot putting him as basically a faux center, I mean, really completely changed their offense when they had injuries. Like he was a huge piece in that Blake Griffin slowly kind of worked him in and he ended up being a huge piece down the line. Nick Claxton, like got him involved. Like there was a lot of bit players that became very useful for this team. And I want to give a lot of credit to Nash for that. But of course, everything's easier when you have three of the best 15 players in the league. So yeah, I, I mean, it's it was obviously injuries this year, and it shouldn't be shocking that it ended up finishing off like that because 
I mean, all three of those guys have had some injury issues in the past, Harden being the least, but he had a tough year. Um, we talked all year about how healthy Kyrie was, so can't be surprised that he ended up falling out. Yeah, at no the kidding. Air. So, and, you know, it's – yeah, it's it's tough. And, hey, it wouldn't be shocking if they have injury problems next year too because, again, these three guys are getting older and they've had injury problems, so it's not surprising. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. They're going to beef up the bench even more. And, I mean, they very well could end up being the deepest team in the league next year. Yeah, I think that's a real possibility. Like, I think Daniel Tice – I have done no reporting. I am not a reporter. But – him to Brooklyn makes so much sense because he's just exactly the kind of player they need. And then you have to factor in Spencer Dinwiddie is a free agent too. You could do mm-hmm. a lot of sign and trade possibilities with Spencer Dinwiddie. Like this isn't going to happen, but here's an idea. Like Spencer Dinwiddie signed like a three year, you know, $45 million contract. And then you get Larry Nance, right back. Like they could something like that's going to happen. So you're going to get a lot deeper as a result of that, like they're going to, like you said, they, they're probably gonna be the deepest team in the league next year. I favor them. I think they're going to be the heavy favorites coming into this season, next season. So I'm glad they didn't win this year because it's adding a little more suspense, but um, do you have anything to add on Utah or Philadelphia that you did not say last week? Um, I have no idea what I said last week about Utah. I know what I said about Philly, but All right. Utah, I'm just, I'm curious to see there's rumblings about Mitchell, whether he wants to stay there. Um, and Hey, like, remember last year when him and Gobert hated each other, like that still could be brewing behind the scenes. So this, we talked about this, this was their one year to win and they couldn't even make it to the conference finals. So you have to think something major might be coming. I mean, look what Portland's doing. You know, Portland was basically what Utah is now for years. And now it's bubbling to the point where the coach is fired and their best player might win out. So I wouldn't be shocked if we get the same thing out of Utah. I mean, the Jazz to me are just an elite regular season team. And in the playoffs, I mean, during the regular season, we talked about, oh, the only two guys they've been exposed by were Harden and Curry. Well, now they've been exposed by Paul George. And, you know, it's not just Rudy's fault, right? You know, Boyan can't defend. Joe Ingles is not where he was in 2018. Um, Clarkson can't defend. Mitchell can't defend. The only guys that can defend the perimeter on that team are – Conley and O'Neal. That's it. Like they don't have any perimeter defenders and that's, that's what they killed. That's what Ty Lue abused in the, um, in the Clippers series. And I really think that I don't, I don't think they can win the championship. Like I, it's not a novel take. Like they can't, everything has to break, right? They have to play probably the nuggets in the first round. They have to play, you know, probably the like Mavericks in the second round, they have to play the exact right opponents. And even then I can't say if they'll win. So I'm not really bullish. I think the jazz next year will take a huge step off in record too. I think they will be back to like where they were like three to six seed. Yeah. And you know, another thing is I've just assumed that Conley's going to come back. I don't remember if he's a straight up free agent or if he has a player option, but I mean, you're a Conley, like you're looking at Chris Paul who is getting to his first finals. Maybe he gets a little jealous they're basically at the same point in their career as each other. Conley's a little bit younger, but I mean, maybe he's like, fuck it. I'm going to go to the Clippers and take a, you know, uh, a mid-level exception or something. Mike Conley on the Mavericks? Exactly. Another option. So, I mean, maybe, maybe he's happy in Utah and just wants to ride out to the sunset there and he doesn't care too much about winning. But maybe, you know, he wants to go to one of those teams 
hell, even the Knicks, like maybe he sees that as a better option. So, or Miami, like there's a lot of guys, a lot of teams out there that could use a point guard and he happens to be a pretty good one. So, you know, he's made a lot of money in his career. Maybe he's like, yeah, like I'd much rather trade in, you know, 10 or 20 million to go play for a shot at the title. And if that happens, Utah is royally screwed. So, you know, if they lose Conley, then they may have to trade someone. Otherwise, they're just going to fall back, like you said, to the middle of the pack and not really have any options to get better. Yeah. And we talked about Philly last week. They're a fucking train wreck. Um, I don't really think there's any other way to put it. Like we talked about them last week, it roasted them to hell. So, um, Dylan, that's all for us this week. Um, from one young soul to another. All right, going to the plugs. I haven't thought of one this week. I barely slept last night. Um, I'm just, I'm not going to fake it for you, but it's $7.50, you cheap ass. I'm just going to resort to actual insults now. You <laughs> cheap motherfucker. <laughs> $7.50. That's going to be the way to win our audience members over is to insult them. Um, just buy the damn book, man. It's not that much money. Like $7.50 for the hardcover, $5 for the paper, for the e-edition. Come on now. Then uh, Divine Rhyme. First Sturgill Simpson episode dropped this week. I forgot to text you guys this because there's been a lot going on with me. Like, I don't listen to Bluegrass at all. I enjoyed it very much. Did you guys record uh, episode two yesterday? Yes, we did. And Will is uh, in Michigan now, so I have no idea if he has his laptop with him or what's I happening. I hope so. Um, you know, it's it's at least recorded, so we got the, the main part done. You know, listen, it was fine. The beautiful thing about Divine Rhyme is it's fine coming out a week after you guys record because it's not unless it's the, you know, the offseason episode. And even then you guys recorded that like three weeks after the album came out. So you guys are not a very timely podcast. So it, it works. You know, you can hold it. Yeah. I mean, you know, me and Will are uh, we're working on our own schedule. Like we don't let the man, the man being Alex Burr, tell us when we need to post. We go off the flow of life. And, hey, sometimes the full life takes you to Michigan. Sometimes it takes you to Lake Tahoe. And, hey, the music we're talking about never dies. So we could post it in 50 years, and it'd be great still. So that's that's what we're going for here. I don't think 50 years is the right timeline, but you, you got the right idea. You got the right idea, even though I object to being the man. Although I guess <laughs> I guess I suppose I am. I suppose I'm the, uh, I'm the Kawhi Leonard of this team. Um, <laughs> um, Lynn Sanity. Caleb's going to be taking next week off. We're going to figure out ways to work around that. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Battleground is going to be back next week. There's a lot of tension right now, right? JD, um, JD and I recorded a podcast this week, Dylan, and JD called Bryce trash takes. That was his nickname for Bryce in that episode. So there's, there's a lot of tension right now. We need a battleground to release some of the tension in the running hook uh, network. Um, Triplage and Pass, they're on continued hiatus. We'll figure that out. But Ryan, you know, shout out to Ryan. He's actually got a grown up job. So, you know, he's got, he's got priorities. He's got priorities. Um, in Circle City Cinema, Zach was back with, uh, we're going to be back with the MCU episode this weekend, hopefully, I think. And then uh, Road to Fast 9. Fast 9 already came out, but Zach, um, life came up. So we're a little behind on Fast 9, but that's okay. Um, and I think that's it for shows. Yeah. Um, oh, Facts and Stats with JD and then Den of Dorks with DJ. Um, Dylan Hughes, this was a great episode, a little longer than I expected it to be, but still wonderful episode. Thank you so much for joining me, my friend. Thank you, buddy.